Let me invite you to remain standing as we come now to the Bible. We're looking at uh, John chapter 17. You'll find it on page 903 in the Blue Church Bibles. And this is the second in our series in uh, John's Gospel and uh, John chapter 17. And uh, last week we looked at how the um, greatest sermon that was ever preached is followed by the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. And what Jesus is doing here is he's bridging the gap between the doctrine, the theory. You know, you've heard it all before. You've been to church before. You've been to schools that talk about Christianity before. You've grown out of Christian hope. You've heard it before. There's a great sermon. But what difference does it really make to your actual experience of life in any way whatsoever? And as we looked at last week, Jesus is bridging that gap by the greatest sermon that was ever preached and now the greatest prayer that was ever prayed. And as he does that, the prayer of Jesus, your assurance, mission, unity, joy in Christ... Last week we looked at assurance and how because God is glorified in your salvation, you can be sure that that is guaranteed if you commit your life to him. Now we come to the second of this series on the prayer of Jesus, your assurance, mission, unity, and joy in Christ. And we're looking at the title of the sermon this morning is what life is really all about. And I'm going to read, last week I read the whole of chapter 17, I'm not going to do that this week, I'm going to set in a little bit of context By the end of chapter 16, verse 33, and then the first five verses, it's page 903 in the Church Bibles. If you want to find uh, it there, if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it for us. Here it is, John chapter 16, verse 33. As I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then here comes the prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And now verse 3, the one verse that we're looking at this morning. Here it is, verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And then to put it in context, the last couple of verses of these first five verses, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. The fifth most popular website in America is actually an online discussion forum called Reddit. Four years ago, there was a post on that forum that became unexpectedly and amazingly popular. It began something like this. Today I woke up and realized I've wasted my entire life. 26 years 
9 to 7, six days a week, I've played it safe. And today, I have no idea even who I am anymore. That such a post will become unexpectedly and amazingly popular with tens of thousands of upvotes is evidence that uh, all of us at some point or other wonder whether we're really making the most of our lives and wonder what life is really all about. Now, it's not easy to know how to answer that question. After all, as Danish uh, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, Life must be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. How then do you know what life is really all about? How do you know whether you're making the right choices and make decisions? How do you know whether the school you're going to is the right school for you? How do you know whether the job you're in is the right job that you should be in? How do you know what your life is really all about? Because it must be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. You can look back and say, I should have done that, but how do you know now what you should do? And so in this, the greatest prayer that was ever prayed, we come to this one verse that is one of the most stunning verses in the whole Bible. And in it, Jesus is helping us understand what life is really all about. I want to give you this morning five short steps. Yes, I know, one verse, five points, but they're going to be short. Five short steps to discover what your life is really all about from the gracious gradient of Jesus' path to eternal life. The first short step to discover what your life is really all about is to expand your horizon. That's what Jesus is doing here as he begins. This is eternal life. He doesn't say this is life. He says this is eternal life or literally this is the life of the ages. I'll explain why it's important to understand that in a moment, that literal translation. This is eternal life. This is not This is how you are successful at school. This is not how you get the right grades. This is not how you make money. This is not how seven habits to make friends and influence people. This is is eternal life. He's expanding the horizon. How hard that is for us to do because we all have different responsibilities. We all have goals. We all have friends. We're constantly bombarded with things in the immediate, in the now. We, We live in a world that is on demand. I want that video now. I click on that link. I go to Netflix and it's right there on demand. And we, but, but Jesus here is indicating that for us to understand anything about what life is really about, we've got to expand our horizon. We've got to think about eternal life. How do we do that? Well, note what he says. He does not say, this will be eternal life. He says this is eternal life. And that isn't just because this is some kind of dry dictionary definition. No. 
It's because Jesus is teaching here what the New Testament consistently teaches, which is that when you become a Christian, and if you are a real Christian, you have entered into life, the life of the ages. You are in Christ. You're not religious. You're not going through the motions. You are in the heavenlies. You're in Christ. You have the down payment of the down payment of the very treasure of heaven itself in the person of God the Spirit in your heart. This is eternal life. It's so important you get that. Otherwise, everything I'm going to say this morning will sound to you like, you know, the phrase to infinity and beyond. It's like who cares? I've got this coming up this afternoon, I've got that tomorrow, who cares? And maybe I'll figure out one day on my deathbed. No, it's not this will be eternal life, it's this is eternal life. Yeah, of course, Jesus said, in this world you have many troubles. Of course, this body that we live in is broken, and of course we we have sufferings and difficulties. Of course, we're not in heaven yet. But if you enter into Christ, then you enter into life. God, expand your horizon. Your life is so much more valuable than you could possibly get from merely an on-demand world that's trying to feed you entertainment, to suck the life out of you, to leave you broken and bleeding the end of your life so you post on Reddit, I've wasted the last 26 years of my life, nine to seven, six days a week, and I don't even know who I am anymore. This is eternal life. So five short steps to discover what your life is really all about from the gracious gradient of Jesus' path to eternal life. And the first one is to expand your horizon. The second one is this, to connect personally. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. That they may know you. He doesn't say that they may know about you. Nor, though, does he say they may only have sentimental feelings and experiences about you. Either way, not only that they may know about you. In other words, it's not simply an academic, an intellectual. You know, it's not like this is college church. You've got to get a whole bunch of information about God because we're called college or something like that. So that they may know you. But on the other hand, he doesn't say that they may feel you. That they may have sentimental feelings about you. It's connect personally. That they may know you. And of course, that involves information. If you tell me, you know, here's my best friend. And I say, oh, great, it's, it's, it's wonderful to meet uh, Bill, your best friend. I say, say, hey, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you know what Bill likes to eat for, for breakfast? No idea. Let me ask you another question. Do you know what he likes to do on Friday night when he's relaxing? No idea. Do you know what school he went to when he's 15? No idea. You're telling me he's your best friend? Yeah, you need information, but it's not just information. It's a personal knowledge, and it's not just feelings. It's like, yeah, I, I feel warm towards that person, but you're not going to spend any time with him. No, you don't know him. Do you have that? Do you have that personal knowledge of God? Have you connected 
personally? Do you know him? You can know him this morning. You can discover what life is really all about if you connect personally this morning. You can know him. And if you do know him, will you develop that? You know, it's far more than just doing your devotions. You know that phrase, doing, I've got to do my devotions this morning. Would you say that about any friend or father, husband or child that you knew, spouse? You know, I've got to do my devotions with that person. What a, what a phrase. It's like it's duty. I've got to do my exercise. And then after that, I've got to do my devotions. Connect personally. This is eternal life, that they may know you. So five short steps to discover what life is really all about from Jesus' gracious gradient, the path to eternal life. And the first is to expand your horizon. The second is to connect personally. The third is to get real. For Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. What a word for us today. The only true God. From the lips of Jesus himself in prayer, the only true God. In other words, there are so-called gods, gods of fame and fortune and fate. All the idols and icons, the branded reality of our world where we're divided into different tribal Groups based upon our ultimate allegiances to different ideas and different ideologies, all the icons and idols of our world that are branded all over the place, all these so-called gods of so-called religions, so that, that we want to say today that it's okay what you believe as long as you're sincere, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the God, whoever he, she, or it may be. that they may know you, the only true God. God is real. He exists. And it is no honor to his name to say it doesn't matter what you think about him. It doesn't matter whether you believe the right thing or not, you know. There is one true God. And to, to make that, it's from the lips of Jesus, to make that affirmation and to preach that and to believe that is not, it is not to be harsh. It is not to be hard. It is to speak what is real. You've got to get real. There is one true God. Do you know him? And this is why, you see, as a church, we spend so much time in the Bible. This is why our men's Bible study is doing a study on systematic theology. It's not because, you know, we, we want to be really sophisticated, and so we like big books and big words like systematic theology. This is why our women's Bible study group is doing Job and First and Second Peter. It's not because, oh, we want to really feel like we understand the Bible. We understand the book of Job and we understand First and Second Peter. And we, we can turn it up in the Bible without getting lost, you know. It's because as we enter into life and the more we know the only true God, the more we will enter into life. The reason why we do this is because we want you to have life. 
We want you to have life. That you might know the only true God and know who He is and what He wants and what He desires and what His character is. And it's that you might have life. So five short steps to discover what life is really all about from the gracious gradient of Jesus' path to eternal life. And the first is to expand your horizon. The second is to connect personally. The third is to get real. And the fourth is this, follow Jesus as your king. Now, get this. What Jesus says here is really quite remarkable. As he's praying, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. What he doesn't say which is what you would expect him to say, is this. And this is eternal life, Father God, that they may know you, the only true God, and me. He doesn't say that. What he says is, Father God, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. Why does he speak like that? Why does he speak in the third person about himself when he's praying? So, Surprising is this, that scholars who have less of a rigorous and um, thoroughgoing commitment to the Scriptures than, than we do, have said over the years, the last hundred years or so, but it goes back further than that, said that this little phrase here is evidence of the pastiche character of the Scriptures, how little bits are stuck in that really belong somewhere else and how you can't really trust this is the kind of thing that Jesus would say. Because if Jesus is actually praying this, he would never say, and Jesus Christ. Clearly, this is stuck in by some other editor later, and here's evidence for that. But, but actually, actually, there is an explanation for why Jesus expresses himself this way that is more profound than that, not less profound than those critical scholars. In other words, what Jesus is doing when he says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, what he's saying there is he's emphasizing, underlining his role. Be like a mayor of a city, the mayor of Wheaton. Not saying his name, but saying the mayor needs to do this. In other words, it's the role and the responsibility that goes to the position. Jesus is emphasizing his role. He's describing himself as Jesus, meaning Savior, Christ, the uh, Latin of the Messiah, Hebrew, both of which go to anointed one, both of which are the anointed one who is the king, the promised king from the Old Testament now fulfilled. In other words, what Jesus is saying, in order for you to have life, in order for you to enter more into life, in order for you to know what life is really all about, you need not only to know him, the only true God, but follow Jesus as your king. And I reckon... If I was a betting man, I would bet that if you're not experiencing much by the way of spiritual life, or even much by the way of life, for spiritual is not one little box that happens on Sunday, then it could well be because you're not submitting to Christ as your king. You and I live in an atmosphere, it's all around us, where 
the society in which we live, the culture in which we live, the times in which we live, the basic worldview which is everywhere around us has bought into the great contemporary heresy. And the great contemporary heresy is that the way to have life is to enter into increasing personal and complete autonomy. The way to have life is to increasingly do what you want, whenever you want, however you want it. But that is based upon an assumption about human nature that is radically and thoroughly mistaken and wrong. And that assumption about human nature is that basically what we desire is going to be good because human nature is basically good. And therefore, if I want something, then it should be good to do it. If I want sex, I'm going to have it. If I want money, I'm going to have it. If I want a career that goes in some direction, I'm going to get it. Whatever I want. If I want to live in a nice, quiet cabin in the woods the next five years and never talk to anyone else, it's what I want, so I'm going to get it. But that is to massively and radically to misunderstand all the data, not only in the Bible, but throughout the whole of human history about what human nature is. We are both more beautiful than that and more broken We are part masterpiece and part beast. And our desires are so confused. And they must be disciplined and brought into line with what is good for us, let alone good for everyone else. And therefore we must follow Jesus as our king. If we are to increasingly enter into life. What a difference it makes when you do. When you're in the courts of the king as a subject of the king, you exchange the brutalities of pornography for the beauty of sexual fidelity. You exchange the anger of competitive angst to the fellow people around you for the peace of the community of brothers in prayer. You exchange jealousy for joy. You exchange the the pig husks of your prodigal rebellion for the beauty of fellowship with your Father in heaven when you submit to Jesus as your King, you enter into life in his name. Would you do that? Would you follow Jesus as your King? Five steps to discover what your life is really all about from the gracious gradient of Jesus' path to eternal life, the first being to expand your horizon, the second being to connect personally, the third being to get real, the fourth being to follow Jesus as your king, and the fifth, the most important as the culmination to all the others, to live for his mission. Get this, how Jesus concludes. So he says here, this is eternal life, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The sending mission of God. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross that whoever so believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The sending mission of God that Christ is sent, whom you have sent into the world. What that means, if you get this, is a complete game changer. You see, we, we, think, we tend to think 
that there, there, there are two ways that you can avoid entering to life in Jesus' name. One way is to be a rule breaker. You grew up in a Christian home. You know what the rules are. You know what you should believe and what you should do. But you don't want to. You want to get out of this restrictive environment. You want to find something different in some far-off country. You're a rule breaker, and therefore you think to yourself, whatever this preacher is talking about this morning cannot be for me because I'm a rule breaker, and therefore I am necessarily excluded. It's one way to avoid entering into life. The other way to avoid it is not by being a rule breaker, it's by being a rule keeper. You also grew up in a Christian environment, a Christian home. You know what the rules are. The difference, though, is that you like them. You want to follow them. You're a good girl, a good boy. You want to do what's right. You try your best. And you think, therefore, you are necessarily included. But Jesus does not say, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who came to give a whole bunch of rules that the good people might keep them. See, we tend to think that our problem is sins, but that is not our problem. Our problem is sin. If you could do an MRI scan spiritually, every, every single person on the face of the planet, what the Bible does when we read it with an open heart and the Spirit is at work, an MRI scan revealed that inside all of us there is this fundamental disease that the Bible calls sin. And no amount of rule keeping will solve it. Haven't you heard of the Pharisees? But what Jesus says is so marvelously freeing for both the rule breaker and the rule keeper. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And when you receive that mission of Christ that he accomplished on the cross and that sending of his spirit into your life that you are made new, that you are born again. You have new life. When you receive that, as is open to you right now, then you live for his mission. Then you have a purpose. So what happened to Moses, of course, in the Old Testament, who eschewed the pleasures of Egypt for a time that he might live for God and became, instead of a prince of Egypt, became a prophet of God's people. It's what happened to David, the youngest child of a very large family, ignored and forgotten, picked by God himself and became the king of God's people. It's what happened to Amos, who was a ignored shepherd in Tekoa, 
who because of God's grace became a prophet to the nations. This is what happened to Paul, the persecutor of God's people, turned into the apostle and preacher for God's people. It's what happened to Peter, who was a fisherman, who became a fisher of God's people. It's what can happen to you. And every, every chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Your mission your serving, your life matters. One more vote, Aaron Burr would have been President of the United States. Plane that crashed some years ago crashed because the one door, storage door, slightly open. One person, one life. Your life, here, now, for him, live for his mission. Five short steps to discover what your life is really all about from the gracious gradient of Jesus' path to eternal life. First, expand your horizon. It's not just like infinity and beyond. When I die, I'll go to heaven. No, it's now. You can live the life of the ages and therefore be assured of your eternal life. It's, you've got to expand your horizon. It's, it's, you've got to connect personally. Not just do your devotions, but know him. You've got to get real. That means as you understand who God is and who God is not, you grow in this life that, that comes from this knowledge of the one true God. You've got to get real. You've got to follow Jesus as your king. And then when you do, you live for his mission. One man who did that was William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was born to astonishing aristocratic prestige and wealth and could have spent all his days accumulating more financial prosperity and polishing the, uh, the badge of his prestige. Instead, Jesus reached him. And Wilberforce lived for his gospel mission in his day and his age. And because of his commitment to that mission, he, along with many others, lived to see the day when in 1807 the transatlantic slave trade was abolished. But it was not until July the 26th, 1833, when Wilberforce by then was old and very sick, that word was finally passed to him from the government of that day that the transatlantic slavery itself, and not just the trade, was now abolished. And on July the 29th, he died and went into the fullness of life. He lived for his mission. You know, this summer I uh, went to London where I'm from and I actually went to Westminster Abbey. And uh, if you go to Westminster Abbey, Westminster Abbey is just packed with memorials of famous people. And you're wandering around there and I begin to think to myself, I wonder as I looked at all these different names of famous people from the past, whether the, the only time they ever came to church was when they were buried here. But there, like a light in a dark place, was the memorial to Wilberforce who is buried in Westminster Abbey. 
And there's a script there that describes all that he did and achieved as he lived for his mission. There's one phrase that just pops. says this. He achieved all these things through the eloquence of a Christian life. Make your life all about Jesus, for Jesus is what life is really all about. Oh, Lord God, we do bow before you and pray that you would help us to do that. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have our hearts and minds fully committed to you. We know that we often don't and can get distracted. So we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you will raise up young men, young women who live for your mission, old men, old women, middle-aged men, middle-aged women, young boys, young girls. Lord, would you raise up individuals here by the power of your Spirit who are on fire for you, Lord, would you do that? Lord, would you soften the hardened hearts? Help us, Lord, to live for you. And so increasingly enter into what life is really all about. Renew us, Lord, revive us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.